Product market fit is not just for new product development, but it's as much for your existing products too. Um, I talk about this a lot externally, actually. And internally, we talk a lot about alpha beta programs during our initiatives, but our products, I believe, really now need to remain in a permanent state of beta to evolve our customers' needs and pain points, right? It's not just like stop it once an initiative is delivered, but continue to remain in that beta mindset. Um, and that's what, what's going to drive your customers to continuously engage with your products. Hey, everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiana Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies, an all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product. And we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Flatfile is the data onboarding platform built to take the acute pain out of importing customer data into your product. With Flatfile, your product's experience is world-class on day one. It's built to handle everything from data mapping, field validation, and is meticulously designed to blend right into your platform. It turns a frustrating process for everyone into a delightful first-touch experience for your customers. Flatfile is SOC 2, Type 1 and 2 certified, GDPR compliant, and even HIPAA compliant, ensuring your customer, no matter where in the world they're located, is sharing their data securely and in compliance every step of the way. No more emailing files back and forth. No more help articles that just don't seem to land. Just clean data on day one, when it matters most. If you're ready to onboard millions of rows of customer data in minutes, visit flatfile.com PLA. Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am really excited to have a dynamic duo here with me today. I've got both the co-founder and chief product officer of Huddle. Um, our co-founder, John, started Huddle with a, a few co-founders, um, David Graff and Brian Kaiser, straight out of university and has been working at Huddle for the last 16 years. Uh, he grew up in Kansas City and came to Nebraska for college where he met his two co-founders, started the company, met his wife, and lives there today with his two young daughters. Uh, on the other line, we've got Pooja, who is the senior director at Huddle for our elite business um, with a mission to power every match analysis, recruitment, and performance decision for the elite customers at Huddle. Um, and those span across the globe to make uh, every moment count within the application. There are more than 25 years of experience that Pooja brings, um, both in product, user experience, business development, project management, and analysis across banking, retail, media, publishing, and sports tech. So uh, both of you, welcome to the pod. I am so happy to have you. Uh, John, where are you Where are you Zooming in from? And then Pooja, I ask the same to you. Yeah, good to be here. Really, really excited to get to be part of the, the pod. Uh, I'm Zooming in from Lincoln, Nebraska. This is where our, our headquarters is for the company. Um, so yeah, nice, excellent. I see a lot of great sports uh, sports images behind you. It looks like a pretty cool place to work. Yeah, if you if you walk into Huddle HQ, you'll definitely know we're a sports tech company. We want to feel like you're in that environment, have that energy in all of our offices, London, uh, Boston, all, all around the world. So yeah, nice. that's the vibe. That's a nice setup for Pooja. Where are you? Where are you zooming in from? I'm zooming in from London. Um, so I live in Northwest London, about an hour's tube ride into town um, and currently working from home. So you can see my crazy setup behind me and um, really excited to be on this, Tiama. Oh, we're excited to have you guys. So first things first, uh, maybe John, I can start with you. Uh, explain Huddle to, uh, to a four-year-old. What is it? Explain how it works. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with just the purpose that drives our company is probably the best place to start. So the thing we think about all day, every day is how can we help every athlete in the world get the shot they deserve? Um, and for us, that really comes through helping them get the best coaching to take every moment that's happening in their practices and in their games and make sure they're getting the most value out of that through, through coaching, through recruiting and exposure. So making sure they can market themselves and get seen through connecting them with their parents and fans and grandparents and the people that care about them to keep them motivated. So at, at the center of everything we do in sports is video and data. Um, if you want to really kind of simplify it, it's every practice and every game that's happening. We want to help with capture that store it and organize it, break down the key moments from it. So, you know, every shot, every cross, every 
attack in a volleyball match, whatever it might be, get those moments to the right people at the right time and make sure they can get all the value out of those moments that they possibly can. So um, we have millions of games that flow into our platform every, you know, every season across just about every sport you can imagine uh, globally. And we work with teams at every level. So club teams with, you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds getting started in their athletic career all the way up through the EPL, the NBA, um, you know, division one college sports here in the U S across the board. So really want to connect those dots for athletes through their whole career. It sounds like a pretty interesting place to work. Uh, Pooja, I'm curious, you have a very diverse background in terms of sectors you've worked in. What drew you to sports tech? I think, um, firstly, John. So John um, interviewed me and really kind of brought that mission to life um, for me. And I'll be honest, um, I had literally no experience in sports tech. I don't watch a lot of sports. I do now, of course. Um, And I was quite worried about coming into an industry where I hadn't experienced any of the products and I hadn't really kind of imagined um, that I would be in. Um, But I think what really brought everything to life was how Huddle is impacting its customers at every single level. John's mentioned a few. I work in the elite business unit, but it's how we impact our customers and make their lives better and easier every single day and um, influence the decision-making for elite sports across the globe, right? Who wouldn't want to do that? And who wouldn't want to be a part of that? So I think um, that's what brought me here. And what I do believe as well is obviously like, this is quite a cliche, but I'm going to say it, your product skills remain the same, but it's, you know, learning a new domain experience. And I think um, Huddle has really pushed those boundaries for me, especially sports, because it's unlike any other industry that I've ever worked with before. Um, But the closest relationship you have to the customer is here for sure. So I think that's what's um, suckered me in. Um, And I've been here for just over a year and I don't regret that decision at all. I'm learning, I'm growing. I'm literally learning about how our teams interact with our products on a daily basis um, and how we can improve their decision-making. So it's just all about that. I think it's the mission that really kind of drew me. Last point I'm going to make is the values of the company. They're very, very important. And Huddle's... um, values are quite unique and they really play to everything that I've been in my career so far. So I think those are the two things I would say. Well, I want to hear more about those values maybe a little bit later. John, I'm curious, um, bringing in a product leader is always a very important decision, especially for co-founders and founders of companies, because you often have been the the person who's come up with the product vision has come up with the product strategy. Um, why was this the right time to bring Pooja in? What, what appealed to you about her? What did you think, you know, uh, this role would unlock for huddle? Yeah, well, it's been, we are incredibly fortunate to have Pooja on the team. So I think and that should be clear to all listeners by early in this podcast, I'm sure. Um, that what drew us to Pooja is so our elite business unit huddle really is roots are in, what we call a competitive sports space. So it'd be like high school sports, club sports. Um, kind of ironically, we started on Elite when we first started the company and slogged it out for a couple of years as a three-person, 10-person startup. And the concepts were right around video and sports and, and what we were doing, but we couldn't really get the company moving around Elite. We pivoted into high school sports and club and it really took off. Then in around about 10 years into the company, nine years into the company, so 2006 to 2014, uh, we really were pushing that high school and U.S. club sports um, growth wave. And, and that's when we really kind of hit the maturity and we're ready to go after elite again in a big way and bring the same kind of vision that we had, but into elite sports. So things kind of came full circle. Um, we started with sports code as the anchor project product in elite. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but it's this hardcore analysis product that really allows elite teams to go deep. But as our elite business started to, that product portfolio was really starting to grow. The impact we wanted to make on elite businesses was starting to grow. We were starting to move in a multi-product direction. And we knew we needed a leader there that could help us create a vision for elite that laddered up to Huddle's vision and strategy. That could bring those teams together and make sure they're pushing in the same direction. Um, That just had great human connection, relationship, leadership skills. And and that's why when we're talking with Pooja, the fact that she didn't come from the sports tech industry actually was a win in a lot of ways, I think, because... She wasn't coming in because she was enamored with getting to talk with, you know, Arsenal and Liverpool and the Mavs and, you know, every day it was about how can I 
build an amazing team. And that's what we, that's what we needed, not a, a sports fanatic. Um, and so we brought Puja in because of those, those leadership skills, product chops, of course, but relationship and leadership skills, because we're scaling that team. And, and that's the most important thing. I think in, when you're scaling a product team is tight knit relationships, people trust each other. They know what they're accountable for. We also do a whiteboarding exercise in every you know, interview and, and Puja just knocked it out of the park. We sat down and we're like, let's talk about the elite strategy. And what we're looking for there is a lot of questions, a lot of curiosity, um, not coming in with a bunch of hot takes and, you know, trying to show us the, you know, their product muscle by just flexing all over the place. And Puja did exactly that. It was super collaborative. We came out of the session thinking differently about the business. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we could see how she could just connect quickly with the team coming out of that whiteboarding session. So. That's, that's fantastic. How, how things unfolded. That's fantastic for our listeners to hear um, because it's, it's you know, so interesting to think about what really matters for a founder uh, bringing someone in like this. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what do you think it was that made high school um, and club sports allow you to drive volume and growth faster than elite? What were the learnings there for you, both from a business perspective, but also, you know, Pooja, maybe you can add afterwards, like product thinking, you know, observations on why one segment ended up working better versus uh, the other. Yeah, I, I think timing was a big part of it. Like it is with every startup. Um, there's kind of two waves hitting together that really connected for high school at the time and then later for elite. And that was SAS. So in our business, this was around 2008, 2009 that we pivoted into high school. And that was a completely new concept for most industries, definitely for like a high school buying software. Like they didn't buy subscription software, but the beginnings of it, the glimmers were there of this might be a better way for us to buy tools. Uh, most high schools were literally just burning a bunch of DVDs and handing them out. And um, if that, they might just be sit, sitting down and plugging in their handy cam and watching it on a TV as a team together. And that was kind of the extent of it. The teams that did have software, they're buying you know, perpetual licenses. So we came in with a business model that was disruptive of you know, $800 a year as a starting point, And you're always on the latest version. The idea that everyone on the team could have access in a seat was kind of mind-blowing at the time. Um, and that was really important for high school because those teams didn't have big team meeting rooms that they came together and met in. You know, a professional athlete, they're on site. It's their job full-time for a lot of them. Um, and so you can kind of like brute force your way through as a team by just making them be there. For a high school team, you know, these are student athletes or club teams. You know, the coaches are part-time, they're teachers and parents. So that remote access became, that value prop just landed there bigger, sooner. Um, and then the browser-based video was really taking off then. It's kind of crazy to think like that was the beginnings of YouTube when we were starting the company. But you're just able to really see like the idea of video in the browser without having like 18 plugins and all these kind of gnarly workarounds to make it work. It was like, Flash and Silverlight were becoming pretty universal. The video experiences were getting better and better. Bandwidth was going up. So all those things hit to make it just really connect for high schools. And then I the last thing I'd say is they could just make a purchasing decision a lot faster than, you know, an NFL team or an NBA team that we were talking to that you had to go through like 15 layers to get a contract signed, to get, uh, get a deal done. I think mean, a lot of people have an idea that there's these like multi-million dollar budgets that are just, you know, money's flying all over the place. And that's the case maybe when you're, for landing players at the professional level, lots of money is spent, but their operational budgets are tight and scrutinized um, with a lot of layers. So, so I'll stop there. I, I'm sure Pooja, like some of the things you've seen and where we've been able to scale and where we've hit friction at the yeah. elite level. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, John, John mentioned um, touch points around athletes and their life cycle. To me, Huddle is about the life cycle and an ecosystem for someone to kind of go through that entire journey with us from athlete to a professional elite um, football player, for example. Right. And I think that's, that's really important. And the other thing I would say from an elite perspective, I think as a company, um, when we first sort of came about um, as, as a business unit in the company, there was a massive realization, right. That to make an impact on global sports, we had to reach out um, that whole potential as a company. So John's focused on the competitive side and how the journey started, but we needed to reach out to that global context. Um, 
And that's when we started to grow in football, for example. So, um, you know, that's one of our, my missions um, and in terms of my product strategy and in elite um, and then kind of expanding to all of those uh, global kind of um, bringing that global context of sports and needing more than just a product strategy to go, go global as well. So we had to actually infuse global sports into the DNA of our company. Right. And a huge understanding of how the elite professional sports differ to competitive high school, college, um, university sports. And, you know, for example, like um, if you if you watch football, there are so many demands in a live game. Right. Um, And especially in a match day environment. So I think us helping power that across analysts, um, across, you know, to help them make pregame post-game live game decisions as well and then on the flip side you've got another persona around recruitment so um, player development but how do you pick those players right and scouting and all of that so what elite did was bring that whole global context into the company and I think a few more personas than we had originally so that's kind of like where I'm going with that and you know the future is very bright there's so much scope in the elite market um, and in contrast to competitive sports, they spend a lot more money. These clubs have a lot more money to spend, but they spend it wisely um, according to the needs of, of their organization. And what they want from us, um, especially on the elite side, is, um, you know, just just that whole vendor consolidation They don't want to have to purchase lots of different products and experience lots of different things. You have to train um, so hard. And so bringing that ecosystem to life for elite global sports is is what we're trying to do. Nice. Yeah. Kind of consolidation, one-stop shop, able to get all your needs taken care of there. Um, Pooja, if you were to think about and I frame this question for any product leader who's been brought in to take a second swing at something, right? Which happens a lot. We've tried something before. It wasn't successful for whatever reason. We think the right time to do it now is now. Um, and we bring in a new leader to, to work on that. If there was one thing that you were able to kind of share with people about how to do that right um, or what you've learned, what would that be? I'm a tough question. Um, I'm a very optimistic and forward-looking person, right? So I don't want to go into any organization, I'll be honest, and hear that, oh, we tried that in the past or it didn't really work. I want to kind of like add this fresh perspective to say, right, just because it didn't work yesterday doesn't mean it's going to work, not work tomorrow. And I'm very used to kind of bringing cross-collaborative teams across organizations together, right? That is my passion in terms of how can you actually just all work towards a shared outcome or a shared objective? Um, So I think it's really important to, um, as a leader, is to evangelize that strategy and um, that vision and certainly make the outcomes really clear um, with a fresh pair of eyes and kind of say, guys, we are going to do this. And to be honest, um, uh, John will attest to this, but in the past year, that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been imagining initiatives that um, we've tried in the past, but never came to life. And I'm proud to say that a couple of them are coming to fruition. So watch this space. Um, I think it's just having that can-do approach, you know, just just go ahead. It's an opportunity and fail fast and early is our mantra as well. So it's really, really important for me to know that um, John in particular, as the CPO of the company, has that culture of um, fail fast and early. And it's all about the learnings that you kind of gain from them. So don't be afraid to try it again. I love that. John, I mean, one of the things you've been working uh, at this passion uh, for about 16 years, and obviously, you know, you said you started in the the States. When did you decide to go and take this broader? Um, And and what's that journey been like for for you, but also for Huddle? Yeah, it was around. So, yeah, back in 2006, we started the company. We started with the lead is really around American football um, to start. And then that got we didn't jettison that, but definitely shifted our focus over to high school for about a nine-year run. It was around 2014, um, 2015 that we sat down as a leadership team and, and said, like, all right, we're things are going really well around that, that high school and US kind of competitive growth. Still plenty of work to do there, but we think we have an opportunity to impact sport in a lot bigger way, but that's going to require us to step outside the 
the U.S. to do it. Um, we could see how these elite teams were doing a lot of the things that our high school teams had struggled with and were now breaking out of because the huddle platform was, was just bringing them together in a new way. So it really felt like clearly the need, the need was there just for whatever reason, nobody had really broken through and, and delivered on kind of a cloud-based collaborative, you know, video analysis tool set for elite. Um, so, but we also knew this is going to be a lot of uncharted territory for us as founders. And we're all first time founders, David, Brian, and I, our executive team was a lot of a homegrown talent that we invested in really fantastic people, but we didn't have wasn't like a bunch of industry veterans that had taken a bunch of companies to, you know, through global growth. So we knew we had a lot to learn. We also knew that our DNA was very American um, as a company, which uh, in the biggest sport in the world is global football or soccer. Um, we refer to it as global football. So that's what you'll hear me say. Um, you know, we had, a, we had a lot of work to do to ramp up there, not just understanding the game, but just deeply understanding how the sport works. So um, we knew this was going to be a really big challenge for us, but it, it just felt so, it became clear and clear to us, like this is the next chapter for Huddle is this push. Um, so we tried to figure out, you know, how do, we, how do we approach this in a way that we're not getting overconfident in what we're capable of doing just ourselves. We can bring in our help, but, but we are holding true to the parts of our vision and strategy that we think really are uh, universal and need to be brought across sports. So it's that tough line of, you gotta have some hubris um, to go out and say, we think this, there's a change needed, but you have to have a lot of humility, uh, too, to say like, we're, we don't have the DNA and the, you know, the right chops in a lot of ways to go do this ourselves. And we're going to need help. Um, so that was kind of the crossroads we were at around 2014, 15. So one, one step we took that really helped us out a lot was there's a company called replay analysis that was based in London. It was three founders and they were doing a lot of what we had done in kind of American football and and around high school basketball of layering this cloud-based tool set on top of uh, sports code, the tools that these uh, global football, elite global football teams are already using. So they're applying kind of the same model Huddle had done in the past, but doing it in outside the US in a global sport that we wanted to enter. So it was this really nice bridge for us. They were a small company, a similar kind of, some similar cultural values. So that gave us a nice connection point. And we acquired them and it gave us this step into the global sports space, but it was in the UK. So you know, language and cultural challenges were definitely a different culture, but close, closer, um, and a, a really important stepping stone into sport. And so that there's about six months to 12 months there where we learned a ton from replay analysis. And that put us in a position to take the big step that we took, which was acquiring sports tech, a Sydney based company, over 60 people, 14 offices around the globe and the leader a clear leader in global football, in basketball. They had all the NBA except one team, vast majority of the EPL, Bundesliga, La Liga, um, world, you know, global rugby, world club rugby teams, national teams. So it was this giant step forward for us at that point. Um, but we knew, like Buja was saying, we needed to infuse this DNA into the company about global sport, about global football in particular, and rugby um, for us to really go do this right. So that was kind of the, I can stop there, but that was, that was kind of the, the genesis of like the step, important step that we knew we needed to take. And then all sorts of challenges ensued. It sounds like if I'm uh, understanding correctly, it sounds like the sports tech ac acquisition meant you were bringing in a bigger entity uh, than Huddle was at that point. Is that right? Um, they weren't bigger than Huddle. So I'm trying to remember exactly where our size, I think we were around a few hundred people at the time. Okay. Um, 200 to 300 total. And they were 60 people, but I mean, definitely big enough. The biggest acquisition we had done by a good margin and, you know, big enough that it really was important that we got it right, understood the team. I mean, so much of the value of the acquisition was in this great team. Um, so the last thing we wanted to have happen was to do the acquisition and then have that team, you know, move on or not be engaged. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I mean, one of the things I recall uh, us talking about in, in the prep for this was around the difference in product strategy, um, or at least architecturally, uh, from an architecture perspective, you guys were very cloud. Was sport tech in that same kind of vein, or was there a bit of a need to harmonize the platforms and refactor and... Yeah, I can let Pooja probably speak to that, but definitely very different, <laughs> Maybe. different approaches, yeah. approaches to the product in terms of thick client perpetual license versus cloud subscription. 
Yeah, Pooja, I'd love to hear because uh, a lot, I think one of the, the skill sets that a lot of product leaders have to have today is M&A and knowing how to bring in, uh, you know, fold in tuck-ins or bring in more strategic acquisitions. And it's not just, you know, a cultural embedding within your organization and knowing how to do that right. But of course, there's all the technical aspects and understanding the pricing, the positioning, the packaging. Talk, talk to us about that journey. Wow. Yeah. So the journey um, started, well, sports tech was acquired, I believe in about 2016. And I only came onto the tail end of that journey when we were going through the transition of the product. Now it's, it's, you know, it, it is tough when you're transitioning everything at once. Right. And what we really needed to do was kind of bring this product in line with what the market expectations were from a customer's perspective. Um, but also from a huddle perspective, one of the greatest kind of, um, strategies that you can have as an organization, when you're thinking about MA in general is how do you integrate? Like, it's not just about buying companies and buying products and having disparate sets of products. But how do you kind of integrate these into your ecosystem and make sense of them to your customers, right? That's really important. So we started um, because this this product was quite old um, architecturally, um, you know, and there were there were loads of not problems. It was a great product, um, but we needed to modernize the product. Right. And. I think um, as part of that journey, like before I came along, Huddle started this journey in terms of uh, let's modernize this product, let's kind of reimagine it, let's kind of think about what it might mean for our customers. Now, you can't really do all those three things at the same time. Right. And that was, I guess, some of the missteps that um, Huddle is now kind of acknowledging or we're acknowledging. I think we overthought how many changes could take place at once. Um, and certainly when you're culturally embedding another organization into your organization as well. But it was all about like kind of rebuilding, rethinking, connecting, integrating architecture. And progress was very slow as a result, as you can imagine, um, because you're trying to do so many things at once. Don't get me wrong, Tiama, there were some really good aha moments along the way. You know, um, John mentioned we had literally one NBA team out of all of them not using our product, and we managed to secure that along the way. That was great. We managed to kind of delight our customers along the way. But um, we, we kind of just started to think more about integrating into our ecosystem rather than choosing innovation along the way. And whenever I've done this in the past in other organizations as well, I believe the mantra should be growth through modernization, right? You're modernizing a product, but you absolutely have to grow and make it better. You can't just mimic what was there into a different architecture. What I believe some of the lessons learned that, that I could share with the audience, I guess, is that when you're doing something like this, set out with some very clear focused outcomes um, and what you want to do to try and drive your customers and business and take those smaller building blocks towards that vision. Right. What happened here was we jumped very knee deep from the start. So lay out some steps and tactics to get to your overall vision and your goals, um, you know, because modernization alone is a huge step um, and, and changing the whole business model at the same time along the way is no mean feat either. So I think, you know, there were some missteps along the way. We've really come out the other end, but um, have very clear focused uh, outcomes and goals, I think. That's a big, big thing that a lot of companies um, miss when they're trying to modernize products. And you hear the term about being product led, um, but along this journey, what was really important to us as a business um, was about being customer led and aligning our outcomes and goals towards that angle. And I think our strategy was fundamentally missing this. Um, and we, we felt like we were product led on principle, rather than focused on the customer needs. And th that's what we were hearing from some of our customers as well. But I think um, I think we've learned a lot on the way, um, but the last advice I'm gonna give on this topic before I talk about, I guess, what next, if you, if you want to kind of go there is just have a big vision, don't lose sight of that vision, but take really, really small, practical, realistic steps towards that vision. 
And I think just just bite sized pieces, you know, um, we always say incremental value uh, as product managers, right? In innovation or new product development or new features, it's no different to modernizing a product and bringing that um, as an M&A strategy into your organization. That's fantastic guidance. So, I mean, I would, you had mentioned starting to talk about what's next, and I would love to talk about that. I mean, you guys have come a long way. You have more than, I think, 180,000 teams using your your tools today. Um, As we start to move into the what's next, you know, any major points along the way, along the journey that have been, you know, particularly impactful that you want to share with uh, the audience that others can learn from um, either of you, I'd I'd welcome. I think just from the elite side, I guess, is just a realization that we've just come up from air for air through this whole transition period, right? And modernizing this key product of ours. And um, the journey's got us this far, but we now have an opportunity to really take a step back and think about this and reimagine this product, right? For the future, like five years out, where do we want sports code to be? Now we've almost grown um, the product four times in revenue since 2016 and change that business model and subscription model and all those sorts of things. So we now need to start getting really serious about product discovery with a fresh lens to see where we want this product to grow in those next five years. That means thinking about innovation, new product development around our customers' workflows, automation, right? So getting analysts back to analysis, getting coaches back to coaching and getting recruiters back to recruiting and not wasting time and effort into learning our products and trying to tease out those key insights. We should be giving them to them within their fingertips, right? And machine learning, I guess, is going to take a really big um, play into this. So, you know, how can we kind of improve that decision making? And then finally, I think just thinking about our suite of products, we have many, many products in Elite. We have many products across Huddle. But having that continued mindset of integrating these into our ecosystem um, and, and the product offerings that we offer to our customers as a result is paramount. This is crucial. And to me, I feel like it's a huge USP at Huddle, which I've not seen before in any organization, that interplay and the interconnections. um, And it's a product role to ensure that it happens in a way that makes customer experience and workflow seamless, right? At the end of the day, your customers don't really care about the fact that you've acquired multiple products, you've modernized them. They don't see that. Those are all internal things. Um, but they really care about like, does this product help me get to where I need to as quickly as possible? So I think the next steps, we're, we're going back to basics a little bit and listening to customers and doing some general discovery. Um, and one thing I've learned, um, especially what I love about Huddle is that if you're not talking to customers, um, all clear on your customer driven goals, like that as a company is paramount. We always have customer driven goals first. You're not winning at all in huddle. So just going back to customers, reimagining this product and thinking about what its future could be. And finally, the final point I'm going to make um, is that remembering that product market fit is not just for new product development, but it's as much for your existing products too. Um, I talk about this a lot externally, actually. And internally, we talk a lot about alpha beta programs during our initiatives. But our products, I believe, really now need to remain in a permanent state of beta to evolve our customers' needs and pain points, right? It's not just like stop it once an initiative is delivered, but continue to remain in that beta mindset. Um, and that's what, what's going to drive your customers to continuously engage with your products. Fantastic insights. Really, really good. John, what, what would you add um, or compliment uh, what Pooja shared? Yeah, I'm trying to, she covered a lot of really important ground for us. Maybe I can talk more about kind of the higher level strategy, like the evolution we've done on as a company and how that's been a, it's been a fun, fun, but tough change. So when we started Huddle and when Sports Tech started, um, which we we started both our companies around the same time. They just they focused on elite and 
um, you know, global football rugby. We were focused on US. Both companies, the value prop was really around how do we help teams capture video and tag you know, tag that video, and then some, you know some reports and reporting on the back end to get value out of that tagging. But so much of the work of the products and the firepower of the products was around bringing in video from you know your handy cam or whatever the camera was, or ingesting a DVD or a hard you know a thumb drive. What is all about getting the video in, and then all these tools to help the coach, the analyst do the tagging, um, which as you can imagine is a pretty tedious task, even at its best. You give them the very best tool possible. That's not a whole lot of fun going through and, and tagging a 90 minute you know, match. Uh, but that was the value prop. And that's what the industry needed at the time. And we use the analogy a lot of like the music music industry. I think about that time as kind of the, the Napster, uh, LimeWire, like organizing your music catalog on your hard drive. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience that are just kind of like, what are you talking about? But for those of us that did it, you remember like the folders you had and you're trying to rename, you know, MP3 files because the names were all a mess. And, and, and so there's all these tools to help you do that. So then at the back end, you could have some, you know, music player um, that kind of played it and the experience was okay. Then you fast forward kind of through the journey of iTunes and then to today's world of, you know, Apple Music, Spotify, where that whole problem is just solved. It's just done. Um, it would be really strange for Spotify to come out and say like, Hey, we actually, you know, stop ma managing your own music catalog. We'll provide it for you. I guess just assumed that's really the journey our industry is on. And we need to be at the head of that journey. So if you think about it from the coach perspective, instead of buying tools to help them gather video and tag it and organize it, our job is just to do that. So when a team logs in from a lead all the way down to high school, they need to just see the catalog of content they need organized perfectly pivot by athlete pivot by game pivot by team pivot by a type of moment i want to see every corner that resulted in this type of a you know a set piece run because i want to study that um and so that's we talk and we're talking more and more about this idea of advance the starting line so if you kind of picture this starting line with a bunch of gnarly boulders and stuff that they're climbing over before they even get to start really running the race our job is to take that starting line and just move it in front of all that um and so that's really where our vision has been pivoting, but it's, it's fun, like, uh, but tough culturally because so much of our DNA and passion is embedded in this idea of like helping you capture and tag your video. So we have to channel all the energy that used to go into that into how do we make that melt away? So we're investing heavily in smart camera systems that you put up on the wall or of your press box or out, you know, on the pitch. They do all the capturing for you, you know, just melts away. Um, optimally, you shouldn't even have to install those. You should go to a facility that has them. And it's just a smart pitch. It's just a smart court. It's ready to go. Um, Pooja talked about ML. We're investing heavily in automating the tagging process. Um, and then we have an incredible team based in our Huddle India offices that tag on behalf of our coaches, um, basic all the way to very advanced levels across seven different sports. This year, they'll tag about a million games just to kind of put that in perspective. We'll flow through that team on behalf of our co coaches so that within hours of the game, they've got everything they need without having to lift a finger on that front. And then where does your energy shift? Like our energy shifts into making the insights coming off that video and data unmistakable, simple, personalizing. So if I'm a goalkeeper logging in, I should be seeing a whole different experience than if I'm uh, a forward logging in. If I'm playing for Arsenal's first team versus I'm playing in the academy and I'm, uh, you know, U12, um, so it's about adapting, it's about personalizing, it's about making the insights really powerful. Um, it's about really leaning into the communication collaboration part of what we do. So how can I share more effectively? How can I telestrate and draw and add effects to the video that make my point just, you know, just really nail the point I'm trying to make to my athlete or from an analyst to a coach um, instead of what used to be 80% of our time probably on helping make sure that the firewire cord they're plugging in from their handy cam could connect to the laptop and the video could come off you know, the camera correctly, um, you know, rewinding back a ways there. But so, so that's the journey we're beyond. So for me as a chief product officer and, you know, Pooja, the, the leaders that are working with me, it's how do we articulate that strategy, but put it on a path, a journey. So it's not just like, all right, now our strategy is this, but it's, it's a progression. Um, we get to, our strategy gets to be this because we're solving these problems up front and kind of wiping them off, off the table. Um, and then helping the team channel that energy that we're hopefully freeing up for our customers and for ourselves into where we need to take things next. Um, and I just maybe one more point I'll make on that is 
to do that correctly for us, I have to keep reminding myself constantly, strong opinions loosely held is like the mantra I'm constantly saying in my head. Like, there was a day where we said we will never do hardware at Huddle. Literally, we said that frequently. Um, it's like, we are a software business. We love software margins. We'll never do hardware. But then a day came where we needed to do hardware because the smart camera systems were so important to getting this to where the strategy was headed um, that we needed to, to do it and have it vertically integrated and do it right. And so strong opinion, loosely held. And the whole company kind of knows that's part of the culture here. Like um, things will change. We, we need good reasons for it. We need to explain it. Um, but, you know, we all need to kind of operate with strong opinions, loosely held, if you want to, if you want to be on that journey. And be truly customer led, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Their, their lives are changing. The dynamics are changing. And it's like, you don't, you don't want to do either. You don't want to be dogmatic and right. unwavering on these things. And then just go, you know, if we were just all about being a capture and tagging tool, our company won't, you know, won't exist two years from now, three years from now. Um, on the flip side, you can't just be chasing every shiny new thing. And sometimes that we definitely get caught in pockets of that. Um, too. So I think the best way to navigate that in the middle is strong opinions, loosely held. Your team knows you're going to be bold and make clear statements, but those bold, clear statements can change. Um, you just have to be transparent about it and explain why. Uh, and hopefully you're doing proof of concepts and work along the way. So it's not just blindsiding people when that changes. Um, if something's probably off, if you're coming out with a strategy evolution, people in the company are thinking, where the heck did this come from? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Pooja, what are you excited about in terms of what's next? What's, uh, what's, you know, your North star and is going to really feel for you that you will have, um, blown through your own personal goals for the elite, uh, group. I think, um, just evangelizing this strategy across the board, to be honest. I mean, when John talks about it, I love it because he gets really animated and passionate about the stories. Um, for me, if I know that there is a very clear strategy and then it's just about the tactics that the teams use to kind of move towards that strategy and it's about getting closer to those goals. So that's what I'm working on right now. Um, Elite has been through um, a lot of changes, um, many different companies, many different um, acquisitions coming in. And now it's about time to kind of bring and piece all of that together. And it's daunting, yes, because there is so much going on. And what I what I loved about what John said was, you know, you can start off with a sports tech landscape and kind of say, we're never going to enter that territory and we're never going to enter that territory. But um, we've changed our thinking as an organization over the past few years, thinking about like what is next and reacting to the market, right, as well. That's really important. So I think um, just evangelizing that strategy, telling that story, um, my North Star or our mission rather at the moment is very clear in terms of powering every recruitment and performance and match analysis decision for elite um, professionals across the globe. And we're working towards like how we bring that to life now in, in all of our different verticals that we have. So there's, um, you know, there's a lot of evangelizing that strategy, but also thinking across the entire huddle organization as well. Although we have the competitive unit and elite business unit, uh, we're, we've been intentionally siloed in some places and now we're actually bringing some of our visions together. And that truly excites me is when you have that cross transformational impact on your customers um, across the many different markets that we serve. That is that is that is what's going to really excite me over the next few years is just bringing that entire ecosystem together. I, uh, I have to ask because. I know you guys are customer, um, I said customer led earlier, and that was um, a mistake. You said customer centric, right? Um, and I imagine then, especially knowing your guys' philosophy on product and product theory and how important it is for discovery and engaging with customers. Uh, Pooja, do your teams get to, you know, make requests direct to these elite uh, athletes? It sounds like that would be a pretty cool place to, to work if they're getting to ask questions to these uh, amazing athletes. Well, what, how does that process work? What's it like to work in your team, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, um, every day is different, right? And every interaction with every club or um, team is different as well. What gets really exciting is um, when you have the big names coming into your office, sitting with you and almost like looking through your prototypes and giving you that feedback, right? That is amazing. Um and teams that actually say, yeah, we've only got an hour to spend with you, but end up spending three, four hours with you because they're so passionate about the things that we do. And they're so passionate about kind of um, helping us um, understand what, what they're about and stuff. So I think um, it, it honestly, it's 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 exciting on a daily basis. The other thing to note, though, is that around us in terms of we have some of the best go to market teams in the industry and part of those go to market teams are actually you will find some professional athletes in there as well, which is truly exciting. I mean, I just hired a product manager who used to represent Great Britain in American football, for example. So that's that's really exciting. And um, one of the other PMs used to um, play um, professional football, for example. Some of our um, some of our uh, customer solutions team come from uh, the big clubs. So we've got this massive wealth of experience already in-house. And um, this is where I think I should mention that actually your sales team are your biggest advocates, right? They're so close to that firing line in talking to customers on a daily basis. Like we shouldn't forget that as much as we want to talk to customers, we shouldn't forget the wealth of internal information we have as well and domain experience. But honestly, it's it's very exciting when you get um, your favorite team coming in and uh, co-creating with you in some respects or using your product and and giving you those amazing quotes that you can use in presentations after. Um, and it's so amazing when they send you pictures of them using your products in flight, right? So they're in a match environment. They've just used sports code to analyze something. And then they've used our telestration tool um, to draw out and kind of make presentations. When they send you the pictures with the teams rallying around a screen and using your products, that is super powerful. Like I get excited every single time I see those coming through. You're getting me excited. I'm not even a sports person. It sounds like a pretty cool place to work. I have to say. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, all right. Perfect. Well, we're going to move into um, my favorite uh, part of the show. Um, so we always ask people this question because it gives us such an interesting insight into the way they think and um, what they value. So if there was a museum in this world dedicated to the world's most important products, um, John, I'm going to start with you. What do you think should be in that um, in that museum and, and why? One of the products that jumped to mind when I was thinking about this question is um, Amazon Echo as a product. I know it's, it sounds a bit cliche, but I just think about my life and what's changed, um, especially after having you know, kids. I think when you walk around with uh, no hands available most, most of the day, um, but I think about just the way I interact with technology, the way our house runs. Um, and I, it's just really, it's, I love hearing the early stories too of how Amazon thought about that product. Um, how much, uh, I think one of the, the lines that jumps to mind, I was listening to one of the, the heads of product that was I think, running Amazon at the time. And he talked about how people called it a, a giant Pringle can with microphones. Uh, you know, why, why that, why the heck would I put this on my counter? This seems ludicrous, but but now I personally can't imagine being in my house and, and not having that ability to use my voice to control music, control lights, get a question answered. We're constantly, or Google house. So we've moved from Amazon over to Google, but same concept, Amazon really paved the way uh, for it. So anytime a whole new operating system essentially gets brought into your life uh, and it's really inspiring and, and we reflect on it quite a bit at Huddle around what did those companies do? Because it's that blend of hardware, software, getting the whole vertical stack around it, right? that makes those products work. So, so that's one that, that always stands out to me. And I think we're still at the very, very early days of just how prominent voice voice will be in our lives as a, as an interface we're interacting with all the time. Great point. Yeah. I've been, um, I don't know, side, side comment that Slack recently uh, released just so they can send little video snippets instead of, uh, you know, like having to yeah. grab something from an external system. And the adoption in our team has been huge. It's just so much easier to just say what we mean rather than type and uh, just listen to someone as you're, as you're working on something. So I agree. I think the more that we tap into that, um, it, it, the more we'll see 
pretty rapid take up on that. For sure. Pooja, what about you? What would you put in the museum? It's an interesting question. I mean, I've thought about a couple of areas before. I think I've had to answer this question a couple of times over the past few weeks um, in talks and things. So let me just talk about one, which um, may not sound as amazing as uh, and as passionate as how John described Echo and Amazon, but I'm going to talk about Hopin. So for anyone that doesn't know what Hopin is, it's um, a virtual um, and in-person conference tool, and they've got a fantastic app that kind of goes around this. The reason why I want to talk about this is, and I gave a recent talk on product market fit, is that a few years ago, um, when I was in charge of um, the FT Live business at the Financial Times, um, we were evaluating this tool. And for our conference business, a multi-million pound making business. And primarily at that time, we were all kind of geared towards in-person conferences. So it felt like the right fit, which was totally fine as there was absolutely no pandemic to consider at that point. But my gosh, when the pandemic hit, it was like, wow, we're going to have to shift our entire business model and think about how we're going to keep this business alive, right? Um, and there were many um, organizations that were doing in-person conferences and that was their bread and butter. So everyone had to completely shift and think about their business models overnight. But that's where I feel like Hopin really um, came into play. Um, they were okay in terms of in-person conferences before, but they happened to just be there at the right place at the right time. And I think um, I might have talked about it before, but finding a product market fit is about time as well. Um, if you're in the right space at the right time, it's 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 a fantastic mix, right? And they just happen to then think about launching their virtual conferencing capability. So I've, over the past um, year or so, a couple of years, I've given many talks using their software and app, and it's just amazing how they connect the speaker to the audience with polls and live questions and networking. So you actually feel like you're in the room. Um, so that that has actually changed my life when I've given these talks and um, I've just loved using using the app. So and and just their timeliness was key as well. Nice. You've got me excited. Maybe we can use that for one of our upcoming customer things. That sounds fantastic. I'll be sure to check it out. Well, guys, this has been so great. Thank you for dialing in and joining us. Uh, it's been a real treat to have two of you speaking to us about your journey and how you work together and sharing the really exciting story that's taking place at Huddle. Thank you uh, so much. Fun. Yeah. yeah thanks for um, everything you all do for the product community and putting this content out and we thrive on that here, here at Huddle. So uh, these podcasts, you know, articles, these things getting pumped out into the community or what are getting shared around constantly with our team. So we just really appreciate all the, the work y'all are doing on that front. Product-led alliance is happy to hear that, I'm sure. All right, perfect. Ciao. Ciao, take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.